Things to trust more than politicians. Cable company internet speeds. Stereo equipment out of a white van. Gas station sushi. Drinking water from Lake Erie. A weather forecast from Al Gore. Things you can trust. Well, let's start with someone immersed in the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And to separate noise from reality, here's Dan Newman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monday, second to last day of the month of May, but it's more important than just the last or second to last day of May. Today is Memorial Day 2022. I know, I know, we mentioned on Friday we were not going to have a show today, which is very unusual for all of you that are regular participants here at TNN Live. Actually, I was mistaken. Obviously, we're having a show today, (laughs) and everybody that is missing it live that normally tunes in, they'll be able to grab it off Spotify or Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, who else? iHeartRadio. It'll be there just like normal. So if uh, you know somebody, you happen to be listening this morning just to see if we were here, uh, and you know somebody that's a regular listener, just tell them, hey, don't miss the show. It was a Memorial Day show, and uh, even though Dan said on Friday accidentally there was not going to be one, there obviously is one. So I hope you had a wonderful weekend. It's a great reflective weekend for all of us, reflective in that we are able to do the things that we do today. You're able to listen to this show right now, and I'm able to be here with you. You know why? Because we live in a free nation. I can tell you this, in China, in Russia, in many other countries, a bunch of them in the Middle East, this show would never happen. And also, you wouldn't be able to tune in on a computer. You probably wouldn't have Wi-Fi. And if you did, oh my gosh, they would not let this show be airing in their countries. That was all made possible from freedom. Freedom. And freedom is not free. It comes at a price. And you may think that you are not obligated to pay for your freedom, that there's no cost to you. And you look back over your shoulder and way before us back in the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s, at all those men and women who went to war to keep this freedom. And today we honor all those that didn't quite make it back. That's why we call it Memorial Day. And so we may not do the whole two-hour show today. We may not do it. I'm looking at, uh, we have the ability to see all the, the people that are listening in. The numbers are down today, and I apologize, but thank you for those of you that have tuned in. Um, this is a great day. We're going to honor a lot of people. And I think it begins with acknowledging what I said just a few minutes ago. Freedom isn't free. Somebody has paid the price. And you know what? You and I have an obligation. Maybe not with our lives in the way of death, but with our lives here in the United States, doing what we can do to make sure that those freedoms that these people paid for with their lives 
remain intact so that those that come after us will be able to celebrate days like today, Memorial Day. I never thought that this is where I'd settle down I thought I'd die an old man back in my hometown They gave me this plot of land Me and some other men For a job well done There's a big white house sits on a hill just up the road man inside he cried the day they brought me home they folded up a flag and told my mom and dad we're proud of your son and i'm proud to be on this peaceful piece of property i'm on sacred ground and i'm in the best company I'm thankful for those, thankful for the things I've done I can rest in peace, I'm one of the chosen ones I made it to Arlington I remember Daddy brought me here when I was eight We searched all day to find out where my granddad laid When we finally found that cross He said, son, this is what it cost To keep us free Now here I am a thousand stones away from him He recognized me on the first day I came in And it gave me a chill When he clicked his heels and saluted to be on this peaceful piece of property I'm on sacred ground and I'm in the best of company and I'm thankful for those thankful for the things I've done I can rest in peace I'm one of the chosen ones I made it to Arlene Every time I hear 21 guns I know they brought another hero home To us We're thankful for those things for the things we've done We can rest in peace Cause we are the chosen ones We made it to Arlington Yeah, dust to dust Don't cry for us We made it to Arlington
How do you listen to that and not be proud? (laughs) This is me. This doesn't happen often. But it happens. Forgive me, please. Greater love hath no person than to lay down their lives for a friend. And these people did it. They didn't know us. In fact, they didn't know the people around America, most of them, by far most of them that they actually, when they took that oath of office and joined the military, that they are literally laying down their lives, willing sacrifice for one thing, freedom. Freedom. To keep us free. And there are so many today that take it for granted. There are so many today in the United States that are even doing more than that. They're not just taking it for granted, they're attacking it. They're attacking it. They don't believe in the freedom thing. All they say they do, and obviously what they're really saying is they want to remain free. They want to have all of the goodness, all of the great things that come along with freedom. But they don't understand. It comes with a price. And sometimes, thankfully not often, but sometimes that price is a life. And even if it's not a life, it's giving up two years, four years, ten years, whatever, whatever the period they serve in the military, they're giving it up, handing it over to you and to me and saying, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for your children. I'm doing this for your grandchildren. I'm doing it for the United States. There's a guy that um, not many of these World War II veterans are still around. And every day, another group of them pass on, in most cases, quietly, no big deal, no news people out at the cemetery, just family, just friends, and somebody carrying a flag. (laughs) One guy that really did it came back alive has a great story and I think today even though this is not Veterans Day Veterans Day is the day that we honor every veteran the ones that are still alive still in service and of course the ones that lost their lives but on Memorial Day we concentrate on those that paid the ultimate price Ray Lambert was that guy's name is that guy's name Sam Elliott, probably the greatest voice in media, paid a little tribute to Ray. We were headed to Omaha Beach, and I was glad. After all the fighting in Africa and Sicily, I just wanted to get this war over with. It was daylight on the 6th. I went up on deck and found my brother Bill there. We talked about our chances and what our parents would think. About 6 a.m., the signal came to go to stations. 
My brother and I promised whoever survived would take care of the other's family. And we shook hands and went our separate ways. I climbed down the nets and got into the Higgins boat with my unit. On the way in, we could hear the battleships firing and see, our big, see the big shells landing ahead of us. Guys were getting sick and vomiting from the choppy water and the diesel fumes. As we got in closer, the Germans had a bird's eye view of us coming in. We picked up machine gun fire. The bullets clanged against the metal ramp of the boat like hail. Then the big 88s on the hill opened up. Every time a shell whistled overhead, all you could hear was the sound of a banshee screaming. Boats around us were burning. I saw men on fire. Even their shoes were on fire. Dead and wounded were floating in the water. We had orders not to stop and pick anyone up. I told my men when the ramp drops, hit the water hard and keep as low as you can to dodge the bullets. We sank up over our heads. That was the last time I saw most of them. 31 men jumped off that boat. Just seven of them made it to the beach. The only cover was a block of concrete the Germans had failed to clear. That's where I set up a collection point for the casualties. Medics were trained not to dig in. We were there to see the troops and for them to see us. I detailed Corporal Raymond Lepour to hunker down and treat the men while I brought in the injured. Ray and I had been together since 39. I knew I could count on him. It was total confusion. Shells exploding, boats blowing up, people yelling because he couldn't hear anything. Machine gun bullets hitting the water all around you. The roar of the boats coming in. It's like you're all alone in a world of a million people because you're concentrating on what you have to do. Hadn't gone far when I felt a bullet go through my right arm. I just kept going. I was thinking of only one thing, getting to the men who needed me. There was a soldier laying right on the edge of the water. One arm was almost shot off. Every time a wave would come in, that arm would be pulled back out to sea, and he'd try to reach out for it. The first thing you're supposed to do is keep a wounded man from going into shock. But he was too far gone. Nothing I could do for him. He died in my arms. I was on my way to treat another soldier when a piece of shrapnel the size of my hand tore a hole in my left thigh. I put a tourniquet on it, gave myself a shot of morphine, and went back to work. You did the job you were trained to do. If you didn't, you died. I could feel my right arm going numb from the first bullet. Saw a guy struggling in chest-deep water. Grabbed him with my good arm just as a Higgins boat rolled in and dropped its ramp. The ramp hit me right in the back, crushed two vertebrae, and pushed us both to the bottom. That's when I started talking to the one guy I knew could help me. I said, God, I've asked you many times, but just give me another chance. Let me save one more person. And for some reason, that boat raised its ramp and backed out. Somehow I managed to drag his boat to safety. 
I told Corporal Lepore he'd have to take my place. He stood up, and then he just collapsed against my shoulder. His helmet fell off, and I saw the hole right in the center. Everything went black after that. The next thing I knew, I was on a boat going back to England. A Navy doctor looked at my dog tags and he told me, we have another Lambert here. My brother's bill, Stretcher, was put right next to mine on the dock at Weymouth. He'd been on the beach with G Company. We went to the hospital in the same ambulance. When I woke up, he was on the cot next to me. He looked over and said, what are you doing here? Same thing you are, I told him. And he said, oh God, now what's mother gonna think? We both made it out okay. Bill lived to be 92. People who have never been in a war should understand what soldiers give up. The guys we left on Omaha Beach never had a chance to live the lives they've dreamed of. Day hasn't gone by when I haven't prayed for the men we lost and their families. I still wake up at night sometimes thinking about the guys. Every man that walked into those machine guns and that artillery fire on Omaha Beach that day, every man was a hero. What kind of person would I be if I didn't tell their stories? Today's the day. All those heroes, all of them that are there in Europe, never got home. In the Pacific, never got home. Let me tell you a quick story. My um, mother-in-law had a, I believe it was a first cousin, maybe a second cousin that was a pilot. And... He disappeared. His plane disappeared in war, and he was in the Pacific, and they never found his body, never found the plane, so there was never the closure that you're looking for, and so they didn't, for some reason, have a funeral back home in Louisiana. Several years ago, Marianne and I were blessed, and we took both her parents and my mother to Hawaii with us, and uh, we went to Maui, that's my favorite island, then <clears throat> then we went over to uh, Oahu and stayed to spend some time in Honolulu. While we were in Honolulu, we did all the uh, the patriotic things. We, uh, we went to Pearl Harbor. We went to the Pearl Harbor Museum Theater. If you ever are there, make sure you go. It's incredible. And then they take you out on a pontoon boat over to the USS Arizona that was sunk at Pearl Harbor that day, and it stayed there. And there are bodies of sailors still there. And it's pretty spooky. When you get out to the monument and you look over the side, there's one spot where every minute or so there's a big bubble that pops up, and it's oil leaking out of the Arizona. That was incredible. But one thing we did was we went to the Punchbowl Cemetery, which is not around Pearl Harbor. It's actually up kind of high, uh, back across the other side of town, up a little bit, so it kind of looks out over the ocean. And Punchbowl Cemetery is where a lot of very famous people uh, 
that are from that part of the world, when they die, they're buried there. And we started looking, and we went all around, and there was uh, a big wall, a monument wall, that had plaques on it with the names of those that were lost in World War II. And we found this cousin's plaque. And so Marianne pulled out a piece of paper. That's all we had. You could take a picture, which she did, but pulled out a piece of paper and put it over that. It was engraved, so there was an inset. And she used a pencil. And you know how you do that, where you take it and you rub it over it and got the plaque lettering and stuff, took it back and gave it to her mother who passed it on to that man's wife. Little things like that mean so much. Being aware, being conscious, being thankful are so important. So do this. Why don't you actively, just in your group of people that you know, there are people that served, there are people that died, they're not no longer with us in, in the flesh, but their memories are there. But you're attached to people who have lost loved ones in the military. If you don't do anything but just send them a text today, do that. And you, you, you just need to say this. All you need to say is thank you for his or her service. They helped keep us free. As I said, starting the show, freedom's not free. There's a price to pay. And sometime, it's the ultimate price. So I got a little uh, emotional <laughs> At uh, that Trace Atkins song, Arlington. Wow. He's an, incidentally another Louisiana native. Uh, he's from Sarepta. And my wife will tell me, no, he's not from Sarepta. He's actually from Shangaloo, which is a suburb of Sarepta. They're both little bitty dots on, her, on the map when you go up in northwest Louisiana. I married a person from Cotton Valley, which is a little bit south of Sarepta. Oh my gosh. Can you believe this? Actually, it's a great part of the state. Great people come there. All pro Roger Carr, wide receiver that was unbelievable at Louisiana Tech and then at Baltimore before Baltimore moved to Indianapolis. He's from Cotton Valley. Hmm. A lot of people, a lot of good athletes, a lot of good people. So I hope you're having a good day today. I don't care what you're doing. I'm sure it's relaxing. Just enjoy the day and breathe the air and be free and be thankful. Above all, be thankful. Got some stuff I want to talk to you about, and um, it's important. We're going to get right to that. But let's take this pause for a second. Ready, set. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go. And big crash. (laughs) On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. To win it Oh, the big winner of $1 million. Then host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Suite. On your cart, get set. Yeah. And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire. It all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu.
Experience WOW customer service at TennisExpress.com. 24-7 phone support and live chat. Product reviews on the latest gear and discounts for your team. Secure payment options with PayPal, Amazon, and more. Exclusive products including limited edition tees. Rackets strung by master racket technicians on state-of-the-art machines. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. Shop TennisExpress.com today. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. The Truth and Dan Newman goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, The Truth News Network. I'm sure you heard President Biden was down in Uvalde, Texas. He went down to meet with the uh, parents and lawmakers there in Uvalde, Texas. There was a lot of um, heartburn about the president going. He even got some pushback while he was there. He was there for a good time. He went to several places. And uh, one of the things that he said while he was there, everybody was expecting he was going to launch into his typical tirade about those guns of war and about all those evil people, those Republicans and other conservatives who are married to the the Second Amendment, the rule of law. You know, I've actually heard him say that. He can't believe that, and he calls it conservatives. Conservatives are okay, his words, are okay with those assault weapons, those weapons of war, and that if we got rid of those, we wouldn't have these school shootings. And it's been a shock to me, and I shouldn't be shocked for anybody on the left to just take on and adopt that mindset that just draw a line. Guns are evil. Guns are evil. And I mean, let's face it, look at the last three years. Look at the opinion across the nation that has developed that parallel what I just told you President Biden believes. Guns are evil. I remember back a long time ago, he was in office, and he's always been a haggler, just doing everything he can to destroy the Second Amendment and get rid of it. He tries to paraphrase what it means and all that kind of stuff. And it's been defined, I don't know, 20, 30 times in cases that come before the Supreme Court. It's very specific what it includes and what it prohibits. And, of course, President Biden and everybody else on the left, with almost no exceptions, believe the same thing. The government should hold all the guns. 
And don't think for a second that's not what their target is. They want you and I to not be able to keep our guns. And because of that belief, the government that should be in power and have all the guns, because of that, our forefathers gave us the Second Amendment to make sure that doesn't happen. That doesn't stop them. Just like with Roe v. Wade, they are besides themselves that it looks like the Supreme Court is going to rule that Roe v. Law, uh, Roe v. Wade is not constitutional. And why are they so upset about that? Because a couple of things, and we won't go into the abortion thing. I won't do that today. But in the, in the gun thing, it's all about making sure that the people in large out there don't have the ability to do anything to control the government which they're a part of. And folks, I don't care how you couch it. I don't care how you define it. That is a definition of totalitarianism. We've seen it. Maybe you and I haven't personally. Thank goodness we haven't. But it's existed in our lifetimes in countries like Russia, several other countries in Europe, and in Asia, China specifically. Totalitarianism is exactly what our president is talking about, the only place that this control of self-defense and ownership of guns is totally prohibited. And that right is owned solely by the government. And our forefathers made it very clear. They actually said this. The purpose for the Second Amendment is not so that citizens of the United States can fight in war, fight foreign foes. It's to allow them to protect themselves against the obvious. People that come into their homes or threaten their lives or the lives of one they love. That's the principal purpose for it, but they expressly included so that the people, if their government rises and tries to break through, push through the rule of law, and take total control of the nation, the people can protect themselves against the government. Joe Biden won't even talk about that. I've not heard a single Democrat in authority in my lifetime address that one thing. How do you know that? It's not written in the Second Amendment, Dan. Our forefathers gave us all kinds of papers and books and thesis that were written to give us all a way to look at the reasoning, the crafting of the articles in the Constitution and every amendment. They knew that down the road, they were going to be gone. We couldn't talk to them and ask them, what did you mean when you wrote this? They weren't going to be there. Why did you... express it the way that you did. They're not going to be there. And they wanted us to have the ability to go back and look at the purposes, the reasoning. How did they get, think about it. You had a bunch of men, a bunch of very powerful men, a bunch of very important men. You can only imagine the personalities that were in those rooms negotiating these articles 
and these amendments in the U.S. Constitution and putting it in there. Can you imagine trying to reach a consensus on any one of them with those kind of personalities getting together? You know how they did it? They just bulled through it. They had private meetings, one-on-one, small groups. They got in the big meetings. They screamed and hollered. They fussed and fussed. There was even a duel <laughs> over the government and its power. And in that duel, somebody died. That's how important it was for them, and it is for us today, that nobody, nobody can touch the rule of law except the people themselves. Not Joe Biden, not Merrick Garland, Attorney General, not Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, who is pretty much single-handedly flooding our nation with illegals, And those people are illegal. Why are they illegal? Because they're coming across breaking the law, immigration laws. They're not enforcing the laws. And all of these decisions are being made. And then on the other side of the coin, they're out there telling us, hey, we're going to let all these people in. We don't know who most of them are. We know there are a lot of criminals. As a matter of fact, we've caught 40, 40 terrorists, known terrorists, have been caught coming across our southern border from a multitude of countries. We know those people are coming in, but you know what? What can 40 people do to the nation? Well, I can tell you what about a dozen did to the nation. Actually, I think it was 18. They killed 3,000 Americans in one terrorist attack. Now put that in the perspective of having 2 million illegals come across the border. Those are the ones we know about. That doesn't include the gotaways. You may be living next door to a terrorist and not even know it. Now that's a little, that's a little strong, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But you tell me where they all are. If you don't agree with me that they could be living next door to you. And of course, then if you even start talking about that, Democrats, other leftists will come and get in your face and call you a xenophobe. Uh, (laughs) You're a white supremacist. If you think anything negative or express any kind of what they assume is a negative comment or a thought about someone that's different, maybe someone of color. They don't think it has anything to do with the context of whoever that is and what's going on around us in the world that we're supposed to forget about the fact that millions of illegals are flooding our nation. And the people that swore an oath to protect and defend us based solely on that U.S. Constitution have taken the authority, the sole authority away from you and I, the people of the United States, and said, we don't care what the law says. We don't care what the people say. The ones that we told we were going to enforce the laws, we were going to protect everybody against our foes, foreign and domestic. Yeah, that was just politics. You know, we were campaigning. Everybody does it. They promised the moon so they can get elected. If If I can't get elected, I can't do anything for you. Everything in government is fixed. 
Listen, you heard me say everything. I mean, everything is fixed. And it's fixed to be an advantage to the government, not the people. Not the people. And if you go back, tell you what you do. It's Memorial Day. Most of you are off. I know you've probably got holiday plans. We're getting together with one of our daughters, a couple of grandchildren headed to the lake this afternoon. This is the first time this year we've been out. Take a few minutes. you got an iPhone. Take a few minutes and just go to YouTube. And why don't you Google um, any president in your, in your rearview mirror that you, you thought kind of had it together? Let me give you a suggestion. Do a search for Ronald Reagan's Memorial Day speech. It's not lengthy. And pull it up and listen to it. I do it every once in a while. Why Ronald Reagan? He was one of the greatest presidents in the United States. Yeah, he was flawed. He had problems. He made some boo-boos. But he was just being a human. But it was very, very obvious that all the actions he took regarding everything, pretty much everything. Let me tell you what he messed up on. He made a bunch of illegals that had come across into the United States. I don't remember what the number was, but he pushed and he got them given citizenship. I don't like that. No president has the authority to do that. That's changing federal laws. And anybody in the executive branch, everybody has no authority to do that. It's the sole authority of the U.S. Congress. That being said, regarding freedom and regarding serving our nation, listen to a speech. I'm not going to play it. I've got it downloaded. I'm not going to play it. I'm going to challenge you to go listen for yourself. Unless and until we put people in the United States Congress that most of, at least, I'd love it to be all, but most of them would believe in the Constitution, trust the Constitution, trust the United States Supreme Court, and do everything within their power to see to it that all that are responsible for enforcing laws Every law has the tools they need, every tool they need. I don't care if it's vehicles, guns, the ability to get information. I don't care what it is. I'm not an expert on that. But anything that the U.S. Congress that solely represents the people in governing, according to the Constitution, Congress has only, only the law to change, to legislate, to do anything like that. And why would they make Congress that powerful? Well, they're all the representatives of you and I, supposedly. We elect them. They tell us by campaigning what they'll do if we elect them. We choose the one in large majority that convinces us that what the majority of the constituents in the state, in the case of the Senate, in the congressional district, in the case of the House of Representatives, those people are believable. They're going to do what they're promising when they get to D.C. So they're representatives of you and I. They're the only ones that have this authority. And we're not holding them responsible. How do we hold them responsible? Well, you can make a lot of noise 
Those people in Uvalde, Texas yesterday, many of them, I I don't know the exact number, but a large number of those parents and other citizens of that Texas town did not like the fact that the president came to town and they didn't like some of the things that he said and did. I'll get into a little bit of that in just a second. But I want to make a point. There are people today in government that think they are above the law. People like Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. And it's not specific to the Democrat Party and the party leadership. Not at all. Those just come to mind because they've been in the news of late. Paul Pelosi, Nancy's husband, Nancy the most powerful woman in government, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House. She and Paul Pelosi, through their career in a combination of commercial real estate and development, that's Paul, and being the Speaker of the House and being powerful when she's not the Speaker of the House, they have used their positions to make a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so it's big news. When Paul Pelosi gets busted, charged with drunking under intoxication over the weekend, intoxication over the weekend, uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked what was her comments about her husband getting arrested. They didn't hold him, of course. This was in Napa Valley. Of course, where is that? What's there? It's in Northern California, just north of San Francisco, about 30 or 40 miles. And it's a really big, important part of the nation. You know primarily why? (laughs) A lot of wineries there. I guess Paul went up there to uh, see how good one specific winery was doing. And they must be doing pretty good because he was ripped (laughs) when he got back in his car. But there are no consequences. If there are, they're going to be minimal. But how many other people in this United States of America that did the same thing that Paul did, nothing substantive will be done to them. In my state, folks, if you're busted for DUI, they want you off the road because you have a propensity to drive under the influence of alcohol. I don't care who you are. That makes sense to me. Paul's going to pay a fine, slap on the hand, It's not fair. It's not equal justice under the law. Another day we're going to talk about how stupid the campaign in the United States at every level, federal, state, and local, are upside down. The people don't have a voice anymore. We'll talk about that another day. What's going on out there? Well, the president went to Uvalde, Texas over the weekend, and... He made some people upset. He made some people really, really upset. One thing that he said, this one just blows my mind. I don't get, I just don't understand it. He suggested yesterday to one local uh, lawmaker, now local, President Biden is the president of the United States, but he doesn't have any authority at the local level unless it has to do with the federal government. He suggested to a local lawmaker in Uvalde that the federal government may provide funds to that little town. Guess what for? To obliterate Robb Elementary School, the elementary school, the entire campus, blow it up, tear it down. Why do that? 
I've never heard any president ever even mention doing something like that, principally because that's not his decision. Now, put in mind who we're talking about. Joe Biden, look in his rearview mirror. Look over his shoulder. Look at what he's done since he's been president. I haven't even kept count. Last time I looked, it was about 100 executive orders. His executive orders, in large part, many of them violate the Constitution. This president, and at this particular point, who comes after him, have too much power. How did they get it? Well, there is only one way they're supposed to get it. That's from you and I. Our representatives, I can't go to Congress. You can't go to Congress. Although I know there are congressmen that listen to the show, and I hope they are, and I hope they'll listen and take to heart what they hear today. The Congress is the only place that a decision like this could be made. Let me quote the president. Quote, I'm not going away. I'm going to bring you resources. We're going to look to raise, R-A-Z-E, that school and build a new one. I can't tell you how many little children that I've talked to that don't want to go into that building. They're just traumatized. They're just destroyed. That's from the lawmaker that he was talking to, Senator Roland Gutierrez. Where do you think that came from? Let me tell you the the mindset of anybody that would even think about, under these circumstances especially, would say that. Without saying this part of it, here's what Biden was saying. Hey, I'm the President of the United States. I can do anything I want, including spend lawmaker money and make commitments to do it because I'm the President of the United States. Now, I haven't talked to anybody down here. I hate your your governor. I abhor what he's doing here, you know, pulling power away from the federal government and keeping it at the state level. That's that Constitution thing, you know. I don't like that. I think what we ought to do is abolish the Constitution and just make the president be able to do whatever they want. That's what I'm going to do anyway. Me and Alejandro Mayorkas, you know, that border that's 50 miles south of Uvalde, we've let hundreds of thousands of illegals come across that we have no idea who they are. (laughs) We don't care what they're going to do when they get here. We're just going to bring them in. We're going to pay for them to live. We're going to pay for their schooling, their health care. We're even going to give them money. And there'll be some coming here. If you haven't got any of our good folks from South America and maybe the Caribbean and maybe parts of Africa and the Middle East that we've let in, if you hadn't got those people here yet, they'll be coming. They'll be coming. And they sure don't want to go to a school where there's 21 people that got killed. So I think, because I'm Joe Biden, we just want to smoke that building and tear it down. Now put it in the context of the meeting and when this happened and what was going on. People, the first, the first school student that was shot and killed that day, the first one to be buried is going to happen today. That's the only thing Joe Biden should have 
talked about while he was there. But he is a tyrant wannabe. He wants to be someone in office that has at the same level the power that Vladimir Putin has. Now, he won't come out and say that. He will not admit it. But look over his shoulder at what he's done. Look over his shoulder at what he's tried to do. Things that only the people's house has the authority to do. That's a president of the United States, folks. That's the guy. And I tell you what, he is a great speaker, an orator, and he's got his head together. I mean, nobody can question that he's the smartest guy in the room. I don't care what room it is. President Nisto, you are, uh, and Prime, Prime Minister Anderson, Anderson you're, uh, it's a great honor to have both of you here at the White House. I welcome Sweden and, fi- and Finland. Let, make, let me make, let, 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 let no one make a mistake, the, the meaning of this historic day. That's how it works when leaders derive their power from the consent of the government, from, from the consent of the governed. Bruh. Let me let me make let, 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 let no one make a mistake. There you go. That was our president. That's the guy that thinks he has the ability, the capability, and of course the power to arbitrarily just pick and choose. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the laws we're going to enforce. Here's the laws we're going to make up. And we're going to tell you that we have control over them. You can't do this because we said it. Here's the worst part of it. We've seen little bits and pieces trickle out into the marketplace of ideas, what I'm about to tell you. And it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. When everybody is living through this and these hot pockets of things begin to happen around the nation, And people start asking questions, even in these press briefings, when President Biden gets a question. Sometimes, every once in a while, the context of what he says points to this, this one thing. We don't care about the rule of law. And you may not know this, and they don't say this, but this is what's behind what they're saying. You don't know this. But we're taking over every part of your life, or as many as we can do. And we're going to do it. In fact, we've already begun to do it. You don't like it? You don't think so? Well, just look out there and look at it. And if you don't like it, you've got options. Sue us. Go ahead and sue us. Everybody can sue anybody in the United States of America. The law says anybody can sue anybody. It doesn't mean that you're going to get what you want if you do sue somebody, but you can go ahead and sue. You need to remember this. Get in the legal system in this nation and sue the government. Oh my gosh, it's going to cost you a fortune. Do you know when you sue the federal government, just to get an attorney that is licensed and has been accepted to practice law in federal government law, those people are really darned expensive. When you go to them and you want to sue the government, even if it's agreed between you and them that you have a legitimate beef with the government that is suable, here's what happens in the legal community. They know 
If I'm going after the federal government, it's going to cost me a buttload full of money. And I'm not going to do it unless the client that I'm doing it for has a butt full of money and is going to pay the bill and pay my bills, what it's going to cost. In the legal system in the United States, you can even look up and do a search, internet search, to find out what the average cost for litigation is regarding this, regarding this, regarding this, and when the federal government litigation pops up, just get ready. The first thing you're going to do is going to start at a commitment to a six-figure lawsuit. It doesn't bother the federal government. You know why? They have all these lawyers on staff, various departments in the government, and if they don't have somebody that can come after you when you sue the federal government, they'll go hire one in the private sector. Guess who pays those bills? You know it. I don't even have to tell you. You and I are paying for those lawyers. You and I, you got to pay for your own. Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News Network. Shop at H&M. Be stylish. Be trendy. With women's clothes and accessories at the best quality and the best prices since 1947. Come to H&M and shop for women's clothing and accessories inspired by the latest fashion trends. Here at H&M, the master of cheap fashion, clothes cost the average price of $21.40. Wow, that's so cheap and affordable. I know, right? H&M offers fashion and quality clothing at an affordable price. So, what are you waiting for? Come shop at H&M today! Hashtag Hot and Modern The I'm crazy hungry so she's gotta be too Slide through the Mickey D's drive through To get a Big Mac Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese Cause I don't know everything But I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves Like the Big Mac Quarter pounder with cheese 10 piece chicken McNuggets or filet of fish And get another for just a dollar Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101. Only at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. We still haven't finished talking about the things that happened down at Uvalde and the things that are looking like have been instigated and going to happen and who the players and all of this are. Many little things are coming out. Biden administration officials uninvited. Many of the Border Patrol agents and other law enforcement officers who responded to that Robb Elementary School shooting from a meeting with the president scheduled for Sunday in Uvalde that happened to happen. Despite it being planned for a large open space facility, administration officials said space was the reason for the retracted invitations. Why would that happen? These were the people, actually, I think you you know by now, it's out there. The local police there 
were held up by their leader. That's what happened that kept this ending a lot sooner. How many lives were, would have been saved? We don't know for sure. But we know for about 40 minutes, law enforcement, 19 of them, were in the building but were paused by their leaders. The ones that went around those, basically, I don't know if they actually did, were some Border Patrol agents that were off-duty, heard what was going on, and stormed to the scene. In fact, the person that shot the perpetrator was a law enforcement person. According to a senior Customs and Border Protection source, these officers that had been invited... They received the invitation late last week, many accepted, and were scheduled to go to the private address from the president. And then most were informed by the staff of the White House, you were no longer invited. The meeting was specifically to address the law enforcement officers who did respond to the shooting. And it was part of the Biden family's visit to Uvalde to address the families of the victims last week's shooting. Although the meeting was planned at a location that 100 or 200 people could go to, more than 90% of the Border Patrol agents who were invited were told time and space are limited. They cannot attend. Now, why would they do that? Why would they do that? You got to remember who we're talking about. Who's the president? Where did he come from? Well, he's a Democrat. He came from Delaware. He's a hardcore Democrat. And then put everything going on in context Look at everything that happens from this White House or doesn't happen. Put it in the context of what's happening around you. Joe Biden's approval ratings are tanked. At this particular point, I would say the option, the possibility of him scoring a second term in the White House when that election comes up in two more years, I would say his odds are about 90 to 10 that he will be reelected, but he desperately wants to go out on top. So what does he have to do to do that? He's got to pander to everybody. It's going to cost him a buttload full of money to even campaign for another term. Where does that money come from? Well, he's pretty wealthy right now, but he certainly doesn't have the pockets deep enough to pay for a presidential campaign. You're, you're talking about a billion dollars or more. Now, the Democrat Party's out there, the Democrat National Commission, Committee's out there, and they raise a lot of money, and of course, they're going to contribute to their candidate, if it is Joe Biden or anybody else, a whole lot of money. But the bulk of campaign dollars come from other people, big corporations, a lot of individuals. And those people don't write checks unless they're pretty certain who they're writing the check payable to is going to do the job, whatever the job is in government. That's just the way it happens. Campaign, our campaign system is as corrupt as any other campaign system for any government in America. It is no longer for the people. I told you we would get into this on a later date, and I'm going to do that, but let me give you a little peek of it. Do you know that 80% of the incumbents that run for re-election in the United States Senate and the House of Representatives 80% of them run every two years. They don't retire. You know, they stay and want to come back. So they're running. Those 
they come in, a few of them come in because they they were running against a weak member of uh, the House or the Senate, and those people had made enough stinks with the people, they just didn't want them to come back. That's only 20% of those that run. 80% are going to be reelected. Think about that for a second. Think about who your representative is in the House of Representatives. He or she, they want to get back in office when the election comes up this November. They want to serve two more years for a lot of reasons. Not going to get into their reasons, but they want to come back. What can they do that someone that runs against them, in most cases, cannot do? They can very easily raise a whole lot of money because they have a whole lot of power. You tell me about anybody in Washington, and I know several people personally that are in the United States government, in the Congress, and they're good people. But it costs a fortune to run for office at the federal level. And there aren't many billionaires out there, even Donald Trump, who was a billionaire, his campaign, when his run for the 2016 election, they raised hundreds of millions of dollars in campaign donations. You got to convince people to join you. And what's Joe Biden's nickname? Quid pro Joe. He's got a history of cutting deals with people. And the political system in America is not exempt from that old saying, what goes around comes around. You write somebody running for Congress, you write him a check. I would say it could still be in the three number range, but it's really tough. I would say you would at least have to get into the four or five range, which would be a thousand or $10,000 range to, to make it where quid pro quo would be something that was probable if you needed it at some point, what would that look like? You need something. Uh, there's a there's a big company that's coming to town. They're going to build somewhere, and you own a piece of property that's adjacent to like an interstate that's right next to this building site. And you know, you know for a fact that there's going to be a lot of ancillary expansion going on in that part of where this company's coming. And you've got a piece of property that has been sitting there for decades and nothing can be done with it. Nobody wants to build anything. There's not even an exit there. Well, guess what? There probably will be an exit there. And so what are you going to do? You're going to start talking to your member of Congress and say, look, I need this exit to go here instead of down south of where this place is going to be put. It'll make my property be worth something, and it'll help me and my family. And oh, by the way, you remember that $10,000 check that I wrote to you? If you will promise to help me to get that done, there'll be another $10,000 check there, maybe even more. Don't think that doesn't happen. And so after the election happens, and they announced the construction of this new place starting. If you haven't heard, you're going to pick up the phone and remind them again 
and again. Does that really happen? Absolutely, it really happens. You've heard the term, the phrase, bridge to nowhere. That's exactly what that was. Federal money, a commitment to build the bridge during a campaign. And I won't even mention the state it happened in, but the senator there and several of the members of the House of Representatives that supported and represented people in that state, they all pushed together to get this big bridge funded to do. It was built, and it goes to nowhere. It's just there. Somebody wanted had a piece of property adjacent. They just wanted it done to make the value of their property go up, and the federal government paid whatever the construction piece was that they were having to pay to make this thing happen. It happens at every level. It happens over and over and over again. Anytime you see negotiation on anything, anything before Congress, there's always either proposed or accepted quid pro quo, or even a combination of the two. So let's go back to Uvalde for just a second. Just nine weeks before the mass shooting there, the city's police force hosted a class. Guess guess what the class was on? How to respond to active shooters. A class that it appears none of their officers took to heart. Taught by the SWTJC Law Enforcement Academy. I mean, they had some educated people there, qualified, to teach them about how to respond to an active shooter. The class covered topics like the history of active shooter events, the training requirements for dealing with a scenario like that, how to stop the killing via a solo response, how to stop the killing via a unified response, an active shooter scenario training. Proof of this class was discovered by Stephen Gutowski, the founder of the Reload.com, which is a pro-Second Amendment website that offers fair and discerning reporting, they say, on firearms and how they intersect with politics. Gutowski found an online pamphlet from SWTJC Law Enforcement Academy that listed the Uvalde Police Department as the class host. Now, why is that significant? Well, what's known is the class was quickly filled and that peace officers, school resource officers, and campus security officers were all encouraged to attend. What remains unknown is how many, if any at all, Uvalde Police Department officers went to the event that was happening in their town. As to those who did attend the event, question, did they even pay attention? According to separate reporting, the training documents covered during the class are extremely damning. They explicitly state that an officer's first priority is to move in and confront the attacker, even if this means bypassing the injured and not responding to cries for help from children. But Uvalde police departments, their officers did the exact opposite. Instead, choosing to get the children out, including their own, by the way, rather than engage the shooter, Salvador Ramos. The documents also strongly advise against waiting for a tactical team, arguing that the short duration and high casualty rates produced by these events requires immediate response to reduce the loss of life. In many cases, that immediate response means a solo, a single officer, 
response until such times as other forces can get on the scene. The best hope that those innocents have is that the officers immediately move into action to isolate, distract, or hopefully neutralize the threat, even if that means one officer acting alone. But according to the latest reports, not only did Uvalde police avoid engaging Ramos, they did so despite there being 19 officers on the scene. Finally, the documents make it clear that active shooter scenarios require courage and that those who lack it should seek work elsewhere. First responders, it said, to the active shooter scene will usually be required to place themselves in harm's way and display uncommon acts of courage. Why? To save the innocent. First responders must understand and accept the role of protector and be prepared to meet violence with controlled aggression. The priority of life scale is used to guide first responders during the critical decision-making process. That's required to effectively neutralize any of these threats. So as first responders, it says, we must recognize that innocent life must be defended. A first responder unwilling to place the lives of the innocents above their own should consider another career field. As of this past Saturday morning, the hashtag Uvalde Police Cowards was trending on Twitter. As previously reported, the attack didn't end until a courageous team of U.S. Border Patrol agents, they bypassed the Uvalde police officers' orders to not intervene and decided to storm the classroom in which Ramos had barricaded himself. I hate to be hard, I hate to be cold, and so I'm not going to be cold. I'll at least not be cold, I'm going to be hard. Those police officers and whoever was their quote-unquote boss, they need to be held accountable. What does that mean? How do you hold them accountable? Um, you find who was accountable. They had leadership there. That person or persons need to be held accountable. What would you do, Dan? First thing I would do would be to fire them. Not happening in Uvalde. The police chief whose orders, the orders to stand down, wait, 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 and he reportedly delayed response to that shooting, is going on the Uvalde City Council. His name is Peter Arandondo. He was elected three weeks prior to the shooting that killed those 21 people. He was elected to go serve on the City Council. Arandondo has served as Chief of Police of the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District since 2020. He was elected three weeks ago, earning nearly 70% of the vote. Though the police department there has since changed its story about what happened during the shooting at least 12 times, a Friday statement by Director of Texas Department of Public Safety Stephen McCraw indicated Arredondo's orders delayed the cops' response during the incident. The DPS media guy that said that, his name is McCraw, 
And he said that Arredondo, who oversees six officers, six officers on the police force for eight schools, he's over those as chief of police, believed the gunman had barricaded himself in a classroom and there were no more children at risk and ordered officers not to engage. In other words, they're all dead. There's no big rush. Meanwhile, gunmen continued firing in that fourth grade classroom, ultimately killing those two teachers, 19 students, wounding 17 others. How many of those wouldn't have happened if those officers and this police chief had followed the criteria, the process? It was laid out. Every law enforcement agency in the United States knows you go in immediately. You go where the attacker is, eliminate the attacker. You don't wait. You just go in. If the, well, what, what if he has hostages? Well, he's got people at bay with guns in a classroom. He already had hostages. If somebody's going to hold somebody hostage, what are they going to do? They're going to communicate with the outside, the law enforcement agencies that are there, telling them what they want, or else I'm going to, bam, shoot this kid. That never happened. They didn't even ever confront Ramos. One guy did, a Border Patrol officer. Obviously, if he hadn't shot Ramos, Ramos died on the scene. If he hadn't shot him, there would be other people that are dead today. Thankfully, they're not. Isn't it horrible that this thing keeps coming up? Keeps. Let me tell you one more thing about the Border Patrol. Looking back at that timeline, as it coalesces in tandem with relayed instructions on the scene, federal officers are now detailing how they defied orders considered to be the wrong decision. Listen to this. So when Ramos first arrived at Robb Elementary School, it was 1128. Responders from several law enforcement agencies in the surrounding area answered the call. Uh, that's standard procedure in every incident like this. As previously reported, members of Customs and Border Protection, Border Patrol, a tactical unit called BORTAC, they were delayed in entering the building after being told the situation had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. That call was made by that chief of police, Pete Arredondo, who further instructed officers to the scene to delay entry into the building and await backup and tactical equipment. That sounds benign enough, doesn't it? Well, now two senior federal law enforcement officers say that after 30 minutes of listening to his instructions, they're inside, they're in the hallway, and they're hearing shooting continue. They wouldn't wait any longer. That director, Stephen McCraw, explained it this way. The on-scene commander at the time believed it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject. Obviously, based on the information we have, kids in that classroom were at risk. It was, in fact, still an active shooter. He made the wrong decision, period. The BORTAC team allowed 30 minutes to go by before making the decision to defy the chief of police enter the building, form up in the hallway outside the classroom where the suspect had been barricaded. When the classroom was breached, an official from Border Patrol explained that the suspect stepped out of a closet, began firing at the agents who returned fire, 
and they eliminated his threat. From the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, this is McCraw. It was not the right decision. It was a wrong choice, period. There was no excuse for that. There were plenty of officers to do what needed to be done, with one exception. Is that the incident commander inside believed he needed more equipment and more officers to do a tactical breach at that time? So in the wake of these murders, the inaction of the police chief was further criticized when Texas Department of Public Safety Lieutenant Chris Olivares delayed, uh, excuse me, defended the delay over concerns for the safety of these police. Olivares had said at that point, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where the suspect was, it could have been shot, it could have been killed, and at that point the gunman would have had the opportunity to kill other people inside the school. As one official wants to explain to the Washington Post, so he gets with the Post, he explained the reaction from the officers. They have not told me they were frustrated, but they told me it was hard to discern who was in charge. Now let me give you two paragraphs of the story published in Texas Monthly. Quoting them, the agents immediately responded, arriving at the school just before 12 noon. BORTAC, that tactical unit, an elite group of agents trained to exchange gunfire, by the way, with cartels. So they pretty much know what they're doing in instances like this. Border Patrol agents not in the SWAT unit also rushed to the school for more personal reasons. Their own kids were in the building. According to Border Patrol officials, three BORTAC agents engaged the shooter in gunfire with one holding a shield after entering the school. And there were some local and state law enforcement officers behind them. One BORTAC agent was wounded, but not critically. The Border Patrol told Texas Monthly that it's unclear which bullet from which gun struck the shooter and killed him. I mean, this thing was a perfect storm, don't you believe? I mean, none of this stuff should have happened, and it didn't happen. None of them happened in a vacuum. They all happened because of what happened just before. And there's always response. You know this. Anything you do, there's a counter to it. Anything you say, you pretty much are always going to get a counter to it. Arredondo's decisions to hold this force cost lives. There's no question about it. How much, we don't know. How many, we don't know. But we have the records of all the 911 calls that came out of that school from students, babies at school that were fortunate enough to have a phone in their pocket or their backpack and very quietly called 911. Many of them were crying, begging. And some of them, their parents, their fathers were outside trying to get in, trying to get the call to get in. That's the last story we're going to do today from Uvalde. That, oh my gosh. You know what we've done if you haven't looked or wasn't here earlier in the week. We published a plan that has been working for years. And I'm hearing all these law enforcement experts now for school shootings coming out. Now, they're all screaming 
we got to do this. We got to do this. It worked everywhere. And they're echoing my sentiments that we brought to you for the first time in 2018. The structure of a school shooting protection process that the Israeli government has been using since 1974. They were having school shootings all the time. You remember when those Palestinians were running through Israel, just blowing people up, buildings up, going after school children? Hundreds of deaths. One way in, one way out. That's the first part of this. And everybody over the weekend on the news was screaming, we've got to do this, one way in, one way out. Fenced in, we've got to know who's coming in, make sure all the things that we've been saying here specifically since 2018. But it's the government, and the government pretty much does what they want. Even a city police chief like Arredondo, he did such a great job. The citizens of Uvalde have now elected, and they're putting him on they're putting him on the city council where he can just do some more stuff. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan high efficiency water softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels in a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Let's switch from Uvalde, Texas to the other 900-pound gorilla in our room, especially now this week and last week. And I don't think it's going to go away until our leaders in the nation start enforcing the rule of law. You know what? Enforcement stops repeat. Let me just say that. Law enforcement, the enforcement of all laws, no matter what they are, 
whatever the law says, enforce it to the teeth. Don't do any less than that in every case. And guess what happens? If people know they're going to be punished and what the punishment is if they do something, a lot of them, this is a new idea, I know, but a lot of them just won't do it. It won't do it. And isn't it interesting when people like Joe Biden get up and Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Democrats, and even some Republicans, they get up and they start blasting and attacking the Second Amendment. Oh, we got we got to get rid of those assault weapons, those weapons of war is what Joe Biden calls them, and they're not. If you know anything about guns, you know that an AK-47, which is a Russian semi-automatic rifle, it's very similar to an AR-15, which is made in the U.S. It looks like, both of them look like, automatic weapons, fully automatic weapons that are used by law enforcement and the military, and those are fully automatic. The AR-15 fully automatic version, by the way, is not an AR-15. It's actually an M4. It's used in the military very effectively. You can't own that gun in the United States unless you go through an exhaustive process, backgrounds investigation, everything they can do. I mean, it's exhaustive, and you got to pay a fortune to even get the permit to own an M4, and you can't carry it around when you have it. Well, Dan, there are some bad people, crimes, criminals are using fully automatic weapons. I hear them out there doing the rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat guns firing in rapid succession automatically. They call them machine guns. Joe Biden calls them weapons of war. You can't own those legally in the United States, but you can get them illegally. Yeah, there are people in this country today, all over this country, that all they have to do is find the right person because that right person is hooked up to somebody who has either raided someplace that had some automatic weapons and stolen them, or they just go to the Mexican cartels down just below the southern border and buy them there. Where do they get them? From overseas. People that break the law are going to break the law. Your kids, when they disobey, they're going to continue to disobey until you hold them accountable, unless you hold them accountable. It's interesting to watch how children, especially young children, act compared to how other people, other children, act. I had a story this weekend. My brother, actually, told me a story about somebody that comes from a family where all the kids in that family, they mind their parents and other parents. They're very, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, no, sir, no, ma'am. That's a sudden thing mostly. I get it, but it's an honor thing. Most people do that. Well, this, this other person, he watched their kids, and their kids don't even mind, and then nothing happens. What does that do? It makes a statement. It's okay to do something wrong. Don't worry about it. You can go kill somebody. Ah, you'll get in trouble. But, you know, they're not going to throw the book at you. And in many cases, everybody on the left feels that that's the way it should be. We just need to help people understand what they've been through that caused them to commit that bad act. They're good people. 
but they just made some bad choices. We need to get them and, you know, send them to shrinks, get them taken care of, whatever it is that they need so they won't do that anymore. Self-governing takes care of that. It's a whole lot easier to do it while they're growing up than after they get out of prison after serving a one term or two or three. And that number of the last thing I did in that comparison, those people, those numbers are growing exponentially. Well, you know, I mean, we 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 enforce the rule of law in the nation and those gun gunfire killings and all that kind of stuff, it's just got to stop. We got to ban those guns. There's not a single gun that ever killed a person. It takes a person to use that gun to kill somebody. If Joe Biden was really serious about the rule of law and stopping criminality, guess what he would do? He would stop criminality. He would have his government do what he swore an oath to do. And what he is not doing, and his not doing it, is a felony every time he doesn't do it. He's suborning, law-breaking, every time people on his watch with his approval that work for us, well, they work for him and we're paying them. They don't enforce the laws and they'll tell you, well, I did that because the boss in the White House said don't do it. Joe Biden watched his boss, his former boss, was his boss for eight years. He was vice president. Barack Obama was president. In Barack's first term, his first attorney general got together with Barack and said, you know these federal possession drug laws for possession of marijuana. You know, marijuana's not that big a deal. Well, Barack says, yeah, I know it. I know it, Eric. (laughs) We both smoke together. Barack Obama makes no bones about it. He smoked dope his entire life. I heard when he was elected, two months after he was elected, I happened to be in Hawaii and listened to a local radio station there. And they had a former classmate, high school classmate in Honolulu that knew Barack Obama well. She told the story of what he did. And I'm not going to get into all the details of the story. But he was known to be a fanatic for marijuana. And what he would do at night on the weekends, he would go downtown Honolulu and find cheap marijuana and smoke it. I'm not weighing in on the good or bad. What I'm weighing in on only is the law. His doing that in Honolulu, his anybody doing that in Honolulu at the time was illegal, breaking the law. He was never held accountable. And so he felt like, hey, same thing's true here in the White House. We'll just do what we want to do. Eric, stop prosecuting people for having marijuana illegally in their possession. So he did. Kind of flew in the face of all the states. At that time, every one of the 50 states possessing marijuana was illegal. And then here we are, the federal government says, no, 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 no. And even though Joe Biden is not doing it now, he's not enforcing laws regarding gun control and all that kind of stuff, criminals doing criminal acts that he seems to be okay with happening because he doesn't hold those people accountable. He learned that from his boss. Nevertheless, when you create that environment, make it okay, it's going to spread around it. First it's one thing, then it's something else, and oh well, no big deal, right? Yeah, 
it is a big deal. It may be little at first, but it's wrong when you do it the first time, if it's against the law. If there's a law in the books, federal, state, or local, that says you can't do this, and here are the penalties for it, if a government will hold them liable for what they did, get them to stop it by doing whatever it takes. I heard this a long time ago about prosecution of someone that kills somebody. The death penalty, it's inhumane. We shouldn't do that. Us doing that to people is wrong. I hear it all the time. I'm not weighing in on the validity or the invalidity of the death penalty at all. But I'm saying there are laws passed in every state about that. Some states don't have the death penalty. They've had it in the past. They suspended it. They did away with it or they revised it and turned it into life in prison. All of those things are laws. Whatever the laws are, whatever the laws are made by the people in those various states got to be enforced. And when it comes to the death penalty, you know, we've had people that have been executed for various, in various states, the gas chamber, even a firing squad was very popular in Utah, and they actually have brought it back as a possibility for execution. The electric chair, hanging, those are horrible things to happen to anybody. But if the people make a law, the federal government should never step in and say they can't on any issue unless the United States Constitution invalidates the law that was used to form that law of execution. This administration doesn't believe in that. So when it comes to guns and never-ending mass shootings here, you know who Joe Rogan is, popular podcaster. He gets it. In a recent episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, he talked about a previous stance he took that America has a mental health problem, not a gun problem. He tweeted this in 2013. This country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem and a tyranny problem disguised as a security problem. That's an interesting perspective. He was talking about the horrific Uvalde, Texas school shooting. That's what he was talking about. It's like, how do you stop that, he said. No one knows how to stop it. What's the answer? Is the answer to take everybody's gun? Well, they're not going to give their guns up. Only criminals are going to have guns. It's not going to be a good situation. Is the answer to make schools become these armored compounds where you have armed guards outside of every school? That's not something we want either. I mean, talking about school security, it can involve much more than just armed guards. And when considering what can happen, armed guards are certainly the better option. I wrote this thing once that this country has a mental health problem disguised as a gun problem. He said, that's what it is. There's so many guns. There are more guns than there are people. I don't think it's a gun situation. And I don't think you can change the fact. I don't think it's wise to take all guns away from people and give all the power to the government. He gets it. He gets what we've been talking about. We see how they are with an armed populace. They still have a tendency towards totalitarianism, Rogan explained. And the more increased power and control you have over others, 
the easier it is for them to do what they do. And it's a natural inclination. When you're a person in power, to try to hold more power and acquire even more power. He said there's never an inclination to give more power back to the people, to give more freedom back to the people. Freedoms lost are rarely ever, if ever, regained. That last remark is a play on the famous words of founding father John Adams. He said in a letter to his wife Abigail, quote, a constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty, once lost, is lost forever. Now, let me, let me, let me just tell you what's going on. It's not just people on the left that are screaming and hollering for gun control, gun control. Even Fox News got an anchor that over the weekend just went postal. And she's actually from my state. You've heard of the Neville brothers? Arthel Neville is a host, a weekend host, Saturday and Sunday on Fox News. Yesterday, she handed a major assist to those who would use the Uvalde school slaughter as an excuse to trample the Second Amendment. Here's what she said. Prayers are not enough. As we've said before, prayers are not enough. We have to do something she said. So while Neville did reserve a hint of criticism for President Biden, her main beef was with Republican lawmakers. We got to get the lawmakers to do something. Now the president, as you know, the commander in chief, this is happening on his watch, but he needs to help of Congress to get something done. And then Fox News contributor Griff Jenkins on with her was more critical of Biden, claiming The president has failed to unite Democrats and Republicans on the issue of gun control, which he told us he was going to do, by the way, just as he did as vice president in the wake of Sandy Hook. But Neville was steadfast in shifting the blame to Republicans. Excuse me, she interjected. It's not just about the president uniting, okay? So let's be clear about that. Yes, this is happening on his watch. Yes, he is responsible. Yes, he campaigned on a united America. And yes, he needs to do something about it. And here comes the but. All that's true. He should do this. He should do this. He should do this. But he can't do it alone. She actually said that. She hadn't said poop about all of the things Joe Biden has done on his own, many of which he didn't have constitutional authority to do, and he goes unchecked. Why is he going unchecked? Any such action would require the only one that is out there for lawmakers who represent the people to use to remove someone that is elected from office is impeachment. And we've We made it very clear to you before, if you didn't already know it, any impeachment has to begin in the United States House of Representatives. Impeachment of any federal officer. It's never just the president. A lot of them, all of them, even judges can be impeached and removed. (laughs) Nancy Pelosi controls the House. She would never let any... And there are people that have filed bills literally to impeach Joe Biden. They began months, a couple of months after he became president. She'll never assign him to a committee for investigation. 
She'll never let any motion bring impeachment articles to be voted on to the full House of Representatives on Joe Biden. She just won't do it. So earlier in this program on Sunday, Arthel Neville welcomed Judy Miller, who's another Fox News contributor. And the two of them discussed whether this time she's talking and they're talking about Uvalde will bring different results in terms of legislation than after previous mass shootings. Miller said this, quote, the Senate goes into recess next week, which they're in recess now. That means that the furor and the anger that people feel over the latest slaughter is likely to diminish. This time may be different, though. Many deaths, said Miller, could be prevented with sensible gun legislation. And that, Miller argued, will hinge on Republican support for the issue. And now they're going to start bringing up stories from elsewhere. If New Zealand and Australia can do it after their mass shooting, why can't we, Miller asked. I think it really depends on the Republicans now. They must stop being the party of egregious mass shootings and uncontrolled guns. That has to stop. It's up to them. And I think Mitch McConnell's instructions to his fellow Republicans to negotiate with the Democrats suggest that he understands something's changing. The question, Arthel, is how long will the furor over this kind of mass shooting last? Will it be enough to finally, finally push the country, the Senate, the House, into some sensible gun control? Answer here, no, it's not. Why? They believe the Constitution. They believe in the Second Amendment, but they also believe in this, law enforcement. What does that name mean? Enforcing laws. If Joe Biden is a zealot, a sincere, actual zealot, to stop gun shootings and gun crime, what can he legally do to do it? Oh my gosh. Nobody's asking this question and coming up with an answer. How many people were shot and killed over the weekend in Chicago? Anybody got the number? I don't have it. I'd like to know, but I can tell you the reason we all don't know, the reason I don't know, is because it's just like an average weekend every weekend where there are going to be 20, 30, 40, even sometimes 60 shootings with a dozen or more people that get killed every weekend in Chicago. Almost every one of those killings happen with illegal guns. None of those people go to Dick's Sporting Goods and fill out the form that they fax up to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco to do a background check on these people, on these criminals that want to use guns to break in and enter, steal, whatever, and by the way, murder, shoot and murder others. These are all illegal guns. You never hear Chicago people talk about when they report on any of these shootings. They never tell you those guns were legally purchased at so-and-so. They don't also tell you those guns, the ones they used to kill that person, were illegal. They don't do that. Why? Because most of them are illegal. Almost all of them are illegal, and they don't want the general public thinking about that in the context of these slaughters that happen. i got to be honest with you. People across America have just normalized Hey, there are going to be a bunch of shootings and killings every weekend in Chicago. Ah, uh, when are the Mets playing? Nobody ever says anything until and unless. Even the President of the United States, other than when he needs for it to be a talking point, 
him campaigning for whoever, himself sometimes, sometimes for fellow Democrats running for something. He never brings it up unless he can get brownie points bringing it up. Oh my gosh, those evil guns, those evil guns. Give me an example of where any gun on its own shot anybody or killed anybody. There's always a person involved in it. And now we have Fox News out there. Arthel Arthel Neville out there pushing for gun control, gun control, gun control. If law enforcement would just follow the laws, follow the regulations that are out there that are all, so far at least, constitutional, do you think Uvalde would have happened? Yes, we have mental health problems. Yes, there's more things that we can do to stop this. And we should do those things. But somebody in the federal government has got to stake up, step up and start the process. Normally, that's the sitting president of the United States. What does Joe Biden do? All he does is gets up and pontificate about it. If he thinks it's okay for all this gun ownership enforcement, why doesn't he introduce or have um, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi get together and come up with a constitutionally approvable law that has anything to do with gun control that won't violate the Second Amendment? Better idea? Why don't you just write a new amendment to do away with the Second Amendment and then see what happens? It'll never happen. You know why? Because the people know if they enforce laws, it would stop most of these mass school shootings. Talk to Dan. Call 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Beat Yourself Up Hotline. Is this the Beat Yourself Up Hotline? Yes, sir. If you'd like to beat yourself up, this is the place to do it. Okay, I'd like to beat myself up now, please. Go right ahead when you're comfortable. I am so stupid. I can't believe how stupid I am. What an idiot. I left all my holiday shipping until the last minute again. Now it's a huge hassle. Why do I have to do this to myself every year? When, oh, when will I learn? You beat yourself up very well, sir. Thanks. But maybe you should just log on to SmartShip.com. SmartShip.com? Right. Type in your zip code and SmartShip.com tells you the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to do your holiday shipping, even at the last minute. Wow. SmartShip.com? Mm-hmm. Why didn't I think of that? Well... Why do I have to have somebody else tell me what to do? Oh, sir... When, oh, when will I ever have an original thought? You're really good at this, sir. I've been told it's a gift. SmartShip.com. The way smart shipping is done. that song <laughs> must have been the right place at the wrong time oh well hey listen i i told you at the top of the show that we may we may do a shortened version of the show today um but i think we've concentrated on some things that to get you to think about just think about those things and start finding some places in your life about your decisions your situation, your opinion on which uh, you're going to base decisions you make about gun control and about gun violence, school violence. 
You know, I'm not sure how much money in dollars and cents, actual cash, plus all the other stuff that we have invested in this Russia-Ukrainian war, how much money we've sent over there. I know we've sent over well over $100 billion in cash. Why don't we do this? Why don't we find somebody in Washington that can pull enough people together to come up with a plan, a valid plan, maybe novel ideas, go over to Israel, sit down with lawmakers over there, or start with the legislation that they used to pass in 1974, what has kept their schools from having these mass shootings. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, it'll be expensive. Do you understand the hundreds of billions of dollars that the federal government has spent in the last two years and given it to schools? Of course, they did it in the name of COVID-19 reaction to make these school facilities safe so these kids can go back to school. They gave billions of dollars to the school teachers' unions. Don't you think before you pay money, taxpayer dollars, for whatever those issues were for, don't you think we ought to make the kids' place where they get educated and make it safe first? Do you think there'd be a lot of opposition if somebody went out, did some heavy research? I tell you what, we're going to take another break in a minute. My uh, roommate in college owns a very large international um, security company. And through his career with his company, what they did, they were involved with facility security. And I'm talking about arm stuff, really serious stuff. I'm not talking about, you know, sending somebody out to escort you somewhere. I'm talking about sending a host of people that are going in advance to a foreign country with the somebody that's a muckety-muck in a corporation or whatever here, that person has security with them 24-7. But Jim would send these people that work for him with them overseas in preparation for them coming in to protect them when they're there, yada, yada, yada. He wrote something over the weekend about this. And I, I, during the next break, I'm going to grab it I want, to, I want to read it to you so you can hear. He made some suggestions based on knowledge, based upon facts. Instead of doing everything we do politically, do it the political way. No, do it the right way. Do it the effective way. Do it to tell the people you're doing it to protect them, but then do it to really protect them instead of just telling us Hey, we're going to spend this money for this. And then we find out later, oh, they wasted 50% of that money. <laughs> and it doesn't matter which segment of our government you bring up and talk that about. It happens across the board. And people just look at it and say, oh, it's a the government. They're going to waste money. That's the way we are. The media just feed right into it. Today, the leftist media, they're tripping all over themselves in a frantic effort to weaponize that slaughter. They've got to find a way to politicize it and get something out of it. But the big purveyor of this in media is the Washington Post, right there in D.C. They may have shot itself in the foot with what it promoted as a big scoop. 
The muckrakers at the WAPO breathlessly broke the story that the owners of Daniel Defense, who is that? That's a company that manufactured the rifle that was used by 18-year-old shooter Ramos, Salvador Ramos, during his killing spree. And this company, they donated money to the Republican Party. Oh my gosh, the Republicans supported this company that's manufactured that rifle. Well, that's not really a stunning bombshell when you consider that the Republican Party isn't actively working to put gun makers out of business. According to the paper, the WAPO, the company's owners are deep-pocketed Republican donors, this gun manufacturer, giving to candidates and committees at the federal and state level aligned against limits on access to assault rifles and other semi-automatic weapons. Quote, the owners of the Georgia-based company have donated more than $70,000 directly to GOP candidates for federal office this election cycle. That's according to what we did. We reviewed the filings with the Federal Election Commission. Daniel Defense itself gave hundred grand last year to a PAC political action committee backing incumbent Republican senators. They even struck out at Herschel Walker. <laughs> Yeah, he's done a lot bad stuff in his career in the government. He uh, is not in the government. He's an NFL superstar and a Republican senator candidate in Georgia. They went after him, a sleazy effort to insinuate that he's got some blame for the Uvalde massacre. They wrote this, the beneficiaries of the couple's political contributions include at least one candidate who emerged victorious in Tuesday's primary contest, Herschel Walker, a former football star running for the U.S. Senate in Georgia with former President Donald Trump's endorsement. There you go. That's why they're all over Herschel, because he is supported by Donald Trump. So on Thursday night, asked whether he would support new gun legislation, Herschel Walker said, quote, what I like to do is see it in everything. In other words, see it and make some factual decisions. Well, Twitter users went bonkers about this whole thing, and they didn't lash out at Herschel. They went after the Washington Post, shifting the blame away from who? Ramos. The gun he used was not a weapon of war. It was not an automatic weapon. It was semi-automatic. There's a big difference, but they don't want you to know about that. Every long gun, they make it a weapon of war, an automatic weapon couple of the texts that were sent. You mean a company that builds completely legal products backs the party that opposes unconstitutional attacks on their business? Shocking. And this one, what about the shooter? Why is this news? Get your priorities straight. And then the question, you know, why would, why would this company give money to Republicans in Congress? A guy named Ken Tenma, he tweeted, And why wouldn't they? Democrats are trying to run them out of business. And John, whoa, I can't believe a manufacturer would support a party that doesn't want to put it out of business. (laughs) Christy, and? Question mark. This is stupid. Everyone should want to know how the shooter was able to afford two of these and all the ammo he had. And Christy, this is news? 
another laughable activist posing as a journalist. What some, including a Jason Whitlock of Fearless, pointed out is that the media wasn't exactly beating down the doors of the manufacturer of the SUV that was used as a murder weapon. You remember we talked about it here at TNN Live. Used by a murderous black supremacist. You ever hear anybody in the news talk about any black supremacy? No. But this guy was one in Waukesha, Wisconsin last year. He drove his SUV through a crowd of white people at a Christmas parade. He killed six, injured dozens, including children and members of the Dancing Grannies performing group. Help me understand, were there stories on the car manufacturer after the Waukesha massacre? The family-owned gunmaker has been targeted by the gun-grabbing left over an ad that featured a child with one of its products. Among those taking to Twitter to attack Daniel Defense is Lincoln Project grifter Steve Schmidt, who appears to have finally recovered from a week-long meltdown about Meghan McCain's new book. Deranged, aging, unmarried, and childless YouTube Keither, Keith Olbermann, who was once a heavy hitter in MSNBC and ESPN, but who is now relegated to making angry videos and tweeting from the lonely confines of his New York City apartment, joined the piling on of Daniel Defense. Here's what he said. Manufacturer of the Uvalde baby slaughters weapon at Daniel Defense has bailed out of the at NRA convention and protected their tweets because selling guns to kids to carry out Republican-endorsed school carnage isn't a problem for that. But mean tweets are more cowards. The one thing about the left media and its Twitter trolls is that their hit pieces and smear jobs are so transparent in their dishonesty that normal people tune them out. Normal people tune them out. Well, let me see. I'm not going to go to a break. We're not going to take that last break. Let me, with you here, let me pull up what Jim had to say. Let me see if I can figure out how to do it. You know, I, the new version of Facebook, um, it's hard for me to follow. It really is. Uh, I don't have it on my phone. I've got the old version purposely. And so it's just really tough for me. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find that for you. I want to find that for you. Because what he had to say, I think, shed some real light on what we can do. Guess what? I'm looking at his Facebook page, what he wrote. Facebook pulled it down. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I should have uh, I should have printed it off. Jim, Jim Montrose, if you're listening to me, send that to me. You've got it copied, I'm sure, somewhere. Send that to me. And uh, I want to pass it along to our readers. It came from a person, from a learned perspective. That's a novel idea. A learned perspective, right? And it was an accurate plan that could do this. Listen, folks, as we finish up the show today, let me just say this. We can't just sit back and wait for something good to happen. Somebody to come in that agrees to do this or 
agrees to do that and and then just give us fluff instead of giving us something that's real. We can't go down that play, that path anymore because people in this administration are not going to go there. They're just not going to do it. What we've got to do, we got to do it as the people of the United States. What is that we have to do? We have to pull together. We have to find a whole series of things that we all want. The people want. Maybe not the government, but the people want. And these ideas, if they implement it, it'll do the job. That's what we need to do. And we need to demand that our lawmakers do just that. Hey, listen, you guys have a great Memorial Day. I'm glad we got together this morning. We're not going to have a show on Friday this week. More about that later on. But have a great, safe Memorial Day. We'll see you here tomorrow morning at 9 Central at TNN Live.